The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Bed Bath & Beyond Thunderdome, the everything store for all of your post-apocalyptic needs. Just because civilization has collapsed doesn't mean that your stylish sense of home decor has to. And remember, if you get 10 punches on your extinction loyalty card, you'll get priority seating on the next armored tank out of town. Our prices are so low, you'd never know that society is in the midst of a widespread catastrophic freefall. Shop Bed Bath & Beyond Thunderdome, where chaos enters and impeccable style leaves. Patent pending. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. One. Fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Hamilton yes! giving you a championship. A twenty-five lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. What's up, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero. Dylan Doc with you, as always. Unfortunately, just riding solo today, but that's okay. We've got a lot to get to. Generally, the All-Star Week is is the time to take a break. Well, there's been a few things to kind of talk about and kind of make the baseball universe kind of explode a little bit. So, uh, first things first, I think we're going to jump right into um, the one thing that I think everybody was expecting but still kind of shocking. Manny Machado traded not to Philadelphia like I assumed, but traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers for Yusniel Diaz and a package of other prospects. Uh, I believe Ryland Bannon, Brannon Bannon was in there, one of those two. Uh, I think that's the last name, but Ryland Brannon, I do believe, was in there. Um, Brajic, was it Brajic Valero? Um, and a couple others, a couple other pitchers were put in there as well. The main thing I wanted to ask is, it's it's an odd situation. The Dodgers lost Corey Seager for the year, so they were a good fit at least for this season because Machado can go over there and he can play shortstop. And they've already said he's going to split time between shortstop and third base uh, whenever they need to give Justin Turner a break. Chris Taylor's versatility allows him to play some shortstop as well, so he doesn't really have much chance to whine. I think the bigger question obviously is going to come in in the offseason because – while they're pretty much the same size, Corey Seager and Manny Machado, Corey Seager is actually a shortstop. He doesn't just play there because he wants to play there. Seager is actually a very good defensive shortstop. And I don't see 
the Dodgers moving Seager to third base just to accommodate Manny. No, I will. I will agree with you on that, and I think that you know Machado's contract runs out at the end of this year, so the Dodgers may have may have done this deal strictly just a hundred percent for this year, not trying to uh, angle for any type of extension because between Seager and Machado and Turner, that's a that's a lot of firepower, but but that's also that's a very crowded left side of your infield. So and, unless they've got designs on on trading Turner, which I don't see or they think that, that Seager is going to wind up uh, having lingering injuries or something like that. I think that they're strictly doing this as a rental. And all things considered, Diaz is a really good prospect, but the rest of the guys that they got, uh, Zach Pop, who is a 80-grade name, uh, but you know, guys like, guys like that, are, are, it's more of a quantity deal. It's, it's, uh, it's wider than it is deep, I suppose. So... It works out good for the Braves, I think, because if there's any designs on signing Machado as a as a shortstop uh, or or as a third baseman, there's not a qualifying offer attached now. So that does kind of thicken things a, a, a little bit. And that's that's kind of the thing because I, if Machado is dead set that he is only going to play short, then it still seems like a fairly steep price for LA to pay. I mean, they've got enough young players and enough outfielders in general on that roster to where you could afford to give up a Yusniel Diaz. He's a very good talent, but I wouldn't call him a game-breaking type of talent. Like People uh, people were comparing him to Christian Pache. I don't believe that's the level he's at. I think he's a tier below Christian Pache. I was telling Doc before before the show started and we were just kind of gabbing a little bit. Um, I think I would probably, if, I, if you had to, and our guests always hate comps, but if you were to ask me right now, the type of player he is, somebody who, to somebody who's never seen him, probably someone like a Michael Brantley. This is a guy who's a pretty good fielder, got a pretty good arm, fairly fast, uh, has about 15 home run power. He's kind of one of those guys who's kind of good everywhere, but doesn't really stand out anywhere. I think that's how I describe him, and that those are great players. Everybody needs those players, and Baltimore could surely use the influx of talent in their really bad farm system to go along with their really bad major league roster. And the, the, I believe it, uh, you're looking at now, is it Ryland Brannon? Was that the name? Was I correct the first time? I, I believe it was uh, Brannon. Yeah. Okay. He's a guy that's, that's interesting because he has every, every scout I've seen loves his bat. He's got a ton of pop in his bat. The question is, can he actually, you know, make enough contact for that massive pop to play? Uh, can he play anything on defense? Now, obviously, in the American League, he can DH. Uh, so that's a guy that might have some sneaky value down the road. So, but I agree with you. Really, you're looking at one prospect and then just some filler to get Machado. And it kind of shows you exactly how teams have kind of shifted their thought process with the way that everybody is paying attention through analytics and through the money spent on your team and development, you're not getting a premium prospect anymore for a rental. And using Neil Diaz, he's a top end guy, I guess, but I wouldn't call him premium. He's not. Uh, he, he's not on the likes of, of like Aloy Jimenez when he got traded for in the Jose Quintana deal. He's not on the, on the same scale as an Austin Riley. Uh, He's not even on scale of uh, I would have Yachty or Alvarez ahead of him. Now I know MLB Pipeline had uh, had him ahead, had Alvarez behind him. But for the Dodgers, they didn't have to give up um, Alex Verdugo, who is their number one prospect, who will at some point be playing in that outfield full time. Uh, they didn't have to give up Julio Urias, which I thought for sure they'd have to give up a pitcher 
because Baltimore has no pitching at all. So all in all, I could say Baltimore probably got the best deal. We all know Philadelphia was giving up Adonis Medina. They'd made him available. Um, and I like Medina. I was kind of hoping that the Braves would get him out of there. I was kind of hoping that they'd up it. As soon as the Dodgers said they were giving Eusneal Diaz, I'll be honest, I was hoping Baltimore would say that we'll give you Sixto Sanchez, but no such luck. I I kind of agree, though. I don't think that Manny re-signs there in the offseason unless his whole unless his whole reason for saying that he's a shortstop was so he could play the I'm a power-hitting shortstop card and get paid more. Now, L.A. always has the money to break you off. So it's going to be a real test. Does Manny want to play shortstop or does he just want to get paid shortstop money? We'll see. If I'm going to look at this through the Braves lens. The biggest stated concern the this offseason was defense. And, and it made such a humongous difference in the way that this team performed. Okay, so – and Dansby Swanson is not a power-hitting shortstop, but he's got a hell of a glove. He's not a know? hitting shortstop at all, let's be honest. Well, but because of so much value that he's got through his glove, he actually does have a ton of value still. So for a team that, that prioritized defense, I don't know if, like, as a third baseman, I think that Machado has a lot more value to the Braves than he does as a shortstop. Because if you're going to give somebody that much money, say that he makes $300 million and uh, $28.5 million, just throw a number out, starting next year. For negative 21 uh, DRS for through halfway through a season, I mean, that is like, that is admirable. You have to be trying to be that bad at shortstop. You know what I mean? And I really like Machado as a personality. I really like him as a hitter, but as a shortstop, uh, shortstop, he is not. And it, it's know? such a so. weird thing because he is shortlist elite defender at third base. It just yeah. goes to show yeah. you that that some guys different different positions don't always translate correctly and it could it could very well be the fact that Machado has not played shortstop since he's been in the major leagues it has been a long time so he could just be readjusting to the system and defensive metrics are kind of spotty at best right now when you talk about really uh, really narrowing down how good you are but a negative 21 is abysmally bad his range is not good. It's And maybe he gets better next year. Maybe. I don't know. I don't believe so. I think he's a third baseman. He's put on si- a lot of size since he's come up into the majors. He's thickened out a lot. I really just think he's a third baseman. But being in his position, people give him a ton of grief for him saying, I only want to play shortstop. Speaking from the former player side, I totally get it, man. I have had plenty of those times where I didn't want to play for a certain team because I liked, I wanted to play shortstop and that's what I played. That's what I enjoyed playing. That's what I was more comfortable playing. I totally get that. Some guys are, are just want to play their spot. I'm not going to knock a guy for wanting to be a shortstop. Um, what I would knock him for would be if he signs with a team and then pitches a fit. So that, that's where I would have a problem. I'm not going to knock you for wanting to play the position that you want to play. If somebody's going to pay you to do it, and that's where you prefer to play and you have more fun playing, go do you, man. You're going to make at least $20 million a year anyway. That's true. And uh, and you do make a good point about defensive metrics being kind of spotty. They're best when viewed over a three-year lens. You get a much clearer picture, and he's only been been back there for three and a half months. But, you know, I, I think that uh, I, I wonder based on – based on some of what teams have seen this year, if they if they would wind up offering him uh, considerably less to be a shortstop and if he would just wind up eventually relenting and say, uh, I have my one opportunity to 
to sign this massive game-changing contract. I don't think it's going to wind up being Giancarlo level of 13 years and $325 million. Um, but that, but then again, maybe. Maybe he could. And if the difference is, is between some a contract like that and, and taking a $150 million haircut because he is insisting on playing third, I'm pretty sure his agent, who's going to get a cut of that money, is going to have something to say about that. I'm interested to see it because it's going to be a real taste of let's see you stick to your guns. If he turns down a bigger contract because he wants to play shortstop, I'll have mad respect for the move, honestly, because that's yeah. the spot that you, that's what you think you are. That's your favorite position. I totally get it. Now, there's some that are going to be say you're not sacrificing for the team. I get that aspect of it, too. I really do. But as far as how I would personally view it, at least stick to your guns. I don't like the Alex Rodriguez thing where – you're a shortstop, and A-Rod was a, a decent shortstop. He was not great, no matter what people say. He was not great, but he was still better than Jeter when he came over to New York. And then he just took the money and switched positions. And that was one of the points in time where I kind of – because I used to, I used to love – dirty little secret here. I used to love Alex Rodriguez. Uh, I used to have posters of him up on the walls and stuff in my younger days. Um, I used to watch him – make dives in the way that he would set himself up as a guy who was not the fastest or the quickest shortstop. I used to watch a lot of him and kind of try to adapt it into my own playing a little bit. Uh, but when he left and went and joined the Yankees and just took the giant money, I kind of lose a little respect for that. And you can say, well, it was for the good of the team. Eh, was it really though? Or was it just because the Mets said, Hey, we'll get or the Yankees said, Hey, we'll give you $230 million. And he's like, Oh, okay. So, it's going to be interesting to see. I like that he's not in Philadelphia. I told you all that I fully expected him to be in Philadelphia, and that was my biggest worry. It's still my biggest worry going into the offseason because the Phillies don't have a real shortstop, and J.P. Crawford's a guy that some people like, but he's been very disappointing. Uh, they've They've been playing him a lot at third base, I think, in anticipation of going after Manny Machado. They have a ton of money, as always, and I think if there's one coach who thinks that he can scheme himself around having Machado at short, it'll be a guy like Gabe Kapler, who is so analytically minded. He's going to basically run some absurd shifts every single play. Yeah, yeah. So he he winds up. Uh, you've got the shortstop title, but as far as positioning, you wind up being a you wind up being a third baseman, right? Longer. Whether whether you're shading I, the not... third baseman a little bit more over, so Manny can play up the middle a little bit more and kind of ease some of the range. Who knows? You see, I'm not. I, I could definitely see him going to Philly, but uh, but I don't know. The, the fact that he did, he won't have a QO attached to him now really really does really does make it interesting. And you mentioned something you don't expect to see him get the Giancarlo Stanton deal. I would agree in terms of years. I don't think you're going to see that very much anymore. Machado with Harper, or that's kind of more what I'm speaking to. I don't think he's going to get 13 mil. I think contracts of that or 13 years. I I think those days are 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 kind of dying out. If if he gets a contract that's 13 million dollars, it's going to or uh, 13 years, 13 years, it's going to have like four different opt outs in it. I would agree. It's it's a little bit different when you're talking about Machado and Harper because they're so young. I could easily see a 10 year contract being in play. But a lot of front offices just don't look at that anymore. So I was, I'm wondering, do you see Machado do something like a five-year, hundred and fifty million dollar deal, where it's not the three hundred million dollar deal that people were thinking, but it's thirty million a season? Maybe, 
if uh, if he's going to try and set himself up for another big payday when he's 30, 31, then uh, then maybe so. This is where gambling on yourself becomes becomes something that's uh, if it's an interesting it, it's an interesting storyline. If he want, if he winds up signing five for for one fifty, I mean it's it's underwhelming in the sense if you're expecting some giant splash, but uh, it's still one hundred and fifty million dollars. Thirty million dollars a year is a pretty big splash. I, that would yeah. be the most expensive contract in baseball per year. I mean that's like when you break it down, just doing some quick and dirty math, it's like six hundred grand a week between now and like July of twenty twenty three. You know, like I would I would take that. I would I would take that if I were him. If but I'm a Charper, if I'm a Chato or Harper, I think I would almost prefer to do that because you never you never can tell in this game what's going to. Now, obviously, you're not going to have the long term stability like you would in a ten year contract. But <laughs> I mean, if they do five years, these guys are going to be thirty and thirty one when they're done with these contracts. That is smack dab in the middle of your prime. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And with the the market, will it won't necessarily reset, but you'll start to see a little bit more. Uh, escalation and contract values but then again there will also be five more years worth of history by that point to look back at this past off season with darvish and arietta and granted those guys all had their warts but who knows maybe maybe that was kind of that sea change where it's like yeah we're not gonna do that anymore because right? everybody was expecting arietta to pull in 150 and he took three and 75 which is still pretty good annual but but the the long term deals everybody's been saying both these guys are going to get 400 million dollars i mean that's that's a lot it's still a business you know what i mean it's it's entertainment business but it's still a business and that is a that is a ton of money to give out that is a ton of capital to have tied up in one player yeah that is like the the you are definitely and especially in a salary in a, a team where most teams have limited funds not every team is the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Dodgers or Philadelphia where you can just throw whatever you want at guys. That's why sometimes it feels like those teams are just going to throw money at everybody. And the Yankees used to do that. Um, but we could talk about Machado for a while. He's obviously the biggest name that moved. But there was a move announced today, and we are recording this on a Thursday for all of you out there. We are not up here recording at 5 in the morning on Friday uh, when this is released. But uh, Brad Hand and Adam Sender got traded to Cleveland for Francisco Mejia. Now, this trade has kind of split some people down the middle. I've seen a few different uh, pretty respectable names give both sides of this take. On the one hand, Cleveland, this is this is kind of like that kill shot, that fatality move that you see in a video game, where adding Brad Hand by himself... Not even, let alone Adam Sender, who's had a very, very good year as well. But adding Brad Hand to that bullpen, which right now, believe it or not, is the highest ERA in all of baseball as far as bullpens go, that is a nail in the coffin. Because now you're talking about Brad Hand, Cody Allen, and when he gets healthy, uh, Andrew Miller, who is one of the most dominant bullpen pieces in all of baseball when healthy. And then you add in Adam Sender, you've got four guys right there, at least three. You've got three players who could close. And you've got a way for Terry Francona to play around from the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. When those guys are healthy and on, you're not. There, I don't think there's any way to get a, to score a run on those guys. Yeah, the uh, as we have seen in Atlanta, having a really staunch bullpen can do a lot for your team. So Indians already already had a fantastic bullpen. So now it's like the the steel curtain after the sixth inning. You know what I mean? And that. 
you saw how creative Francona was in the playoffs a couple of years ago with those guys. You just keep giving him ammo. I mean, Cleveland, for, for as much as L.A. stepped to the forefront of the National League yesterday with the Machado deal, Cleveland might have done the exact same thing with, by adding Hand and Simber. I think I think that they they killed it with that trade. Now, I'm not a big fan of Simber because I'm not a big fan of relievers that throw 91. That's just me personally. Uh, and I get Simber's a side armor, and he's going to be death to right-handers. I totally understand that. Uh, to me, that's just an extra sweetener in the pot. The fact is they only gave up one prospect. And it was a really, really good prospect in Francisco Mejia. Um, So most people are thinking, wow, Cleveland won that trade. For San Diego, I still think it's a good trade because you're not going to seriously compete in the West this year. You're probably not going to seriously compete next year, especially with the Machado edition. You're you're pretty much buried this year already. So you got to get your value for guys. Mejia is a guy that just, what, just one year ago today was considered one of the top three or four prospects in all of baseball, never mind the position. And then the Indians have kind of moved him around a little bit. He was playing some third base, playing some outfield, just trying to get away to get his bat to the majors. Well, San Diego has already said, all right, we're going to put him at catcher. And for San Diego, that was their weak link. They have a very good farm system. They do not have a strong catching prospect besides Francisco Mejia, who's a guy that profiles as a very, very good bat. Um, He needs a little fine-tuning at the plate, but what he's got is he's got a laser cannon of an arm. Uh, He's very athletic and very quick, which bodes well for for base stealers and catching runners stealing and things like that. I think it's a good move for San Diego as well. I was uh, a friend of the program, Josh Brown, had uh, had texted me earlier, and he said, who do you think won this trade? And my, and my initial reaction was Indians by 40 miles. But the more I got to thinking about it, Mejia, is, it, his, his bat is going to play anywhere. If he's behind the plate, even better. It's kind of similar to, to what, the, uh, what the write-up was on Alex Jackson last year, is that his his bat is so much more valuable behind the plate, so don't put him back out in the outfield if, unless you absolutely have to. You know what I mean? So Mejia now, if he's going to be on the catching track, which he's already in AAA, so he's 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 got some history with the position. He's he's now got some positional versatility just in case that doesn't work out. And I think that part of the reason why I was kind of confused and I I hate to look at a deal like that and say, Oh, that's it. But because that's such a great deal. And when you look at, at hand and Simber as being really good uh, pieces that you can move to, to get really good assets. But I think it's a good deal for San Diego too. I mean, we were talking about with the Machado deal, how that's wider than it is deep. This one's deeper than it is wide. You hit that one guy. This is copy and Preller. We're, we're both, uh, rebuilding at the same time. And you saw very similar methodologies. Copy, I remember Copy saying, you don't beat the Cubs with safe prospects, you know, with guys that you know are going to uh, have really high floors but low ceilings. You have to shoot the moon, and you get a guy who can be just one of the best catchers, maybe the best hitting catcher in baseball if everything falls right for him. So um, I still think the Indians win the deal, but but I think that San Diego, the more I think about it, did better than I initially thought they did. I think it's almost dead even for me, but then again, I'm a pretty big Francisco Mejia guy. I think he's going to be an absolute stud. I think the arm and the athleticism bode very well for him behind the plate. Now, recent history for Braves fans, 
We realize that athleticism and a strong arm don't make a good catcher. Re Christian Bethencourt, um, but I don't. I think Mejia's bat alone is enough to make that play, uh, and I, I do expect big things for him. And you're talking about a team that's starting Austin Hedges behind the plate. So I think that they do a phenomenal job there. He's going to help them out next year. But really, we're 20 minutes in, and you guys are all wondering, why are we talking about other teams? What this means for Atlanta is, quite honestly, these are both a little bit lower, cheaper additions than I expected to see this offseason, especially – or this season, rather – especially when reports a little bit earlier, uh, maybe a month ago, were that the San Diego Padres were expecting – a big-time prospect and a major leaguer for hand alone. And now they the Indians didn't have to give up Nolan Jones, who is a very, very exciting third-baseman prospect. So for Atlanta, when you talk about uh, bullpen is obviously a big position of need, so you look at some of the guys that are out there, yeah, you missed out on hand, but there's still a few big names out there. Uh, and if you're paying attention on uh, – over at outfieldflyrule.com. Tomorrow we'll have a piece where all of us kind of took a look at some different trade packages that we liked without any thought or input from the others. So take a look there at outfieldflyrule.com. But say you're going after Kirby Yates. I mean, now now you know San Diego's going to deal him, and they just dealt their best they just built. They just dealt their best bullpen piece, their closer, and probably their third, third or fourth best bullpen arm for one prospect. That makes you pretty excited. That means you might, you probably don't have to give up one of these high end guys to go get Kirby Yates. You might be able to get away with giving a Lucas Sims and oh, I don't know, throw in uh, uh, Doc, who's a guy in the in the 25 to 30 range that we could and whatever just throw in Travis Demerit Travis Demerit so you might be able to get away with with a Lucas Sims and a Travis Demerit uh and to me the Braves you're not really giving up anything you're dealing from a position of strength with Lucas Sims for as much as Braves fans are tired of seeing Lucas in the majors and we've kind of got a lot of prospect fatigue with him because he's been around the system forever he still has some really good numbers in AAA, and that those are some numbers that another team could look at and will be like, you know what? Because every team is arrogant enough to believe it. They'll look at it and go, you know what? We can turn this around in a way that he wasn't being used there, and we'll be the guys that get the most out of him. And in a place like San Diego, Lucas will probably play up pretty well. He's He doesn't have to worry about the fly balls as much because Petco Park is gigantic. So it kind of eases it up a little bit. I think that I honestly I think that the Braves would be very much in play for Kirby Yates. It fits the style. Anthopolis doesn't really want to give away any high end guys, especially not for rentals. And Yates has been a dominant force for about the last ninety innings. I, uh, I I'm inclined to agree, and and as we have talked about before, uh, the thing about being in the position the Padres are in right now is that they can afford to give guys time to figure it out you know lucas sims comes up from gwinnett gets shelled immediately goes back to gwinnett there's no confidence building there's no learning and implementing at the big league level it's just going back he's too good to be in triple a but he's not quite good enough to be in mlb um he it's similar to fulty and and dylan i I know that you in particular not just our listeners but you in particular have heard me say this a bunch of times Fulty a couple of years ago was so raw. Granted, his ceiling is much higher than Sims, but he was so raw. But he, the Braves sucked. They were getting beat up by the Mets. They were getting beat up by the Nats. At the time, they were still getting beat up by the Marlins, too. So they they had time to let him figure it out. And now you see where he 
where he has wound up. So, like I said, I don't think that, that Sims is faulty in the long run, but if you give him some time to build that confidence and figure it out in a place where he's not just going to get shelled as much, I think that you could still see him turn into a really useful piece. And I, I just, I can't, man, I, I am really happy that for the, the position of need, like clearly the biggest position of need for this team, the market has been set and it's not astronomical. And a couple of years ago, Chapman and Miller, some of these guys were, you know, two top hundred prospects and then two other pieces on top of that. You know, I don't feel like giving up Colby <laughs> Allard and Max Freed and two other guys for for Rysel Iglesias, even even if he's really good and if he's under control. So now there's a position where it's like this might have just really swung in Atlanta's favor. Now they need to act soon. So the so there's plenty of surplus of relievers so they're not just sitting there at the very end going um i guess we'll just take this guy over here whose fit is hovering around nine uh just because he can give us some innings or something or leaning on fernando salas who they just signed to a minor league deal now you just mentioned rice iglesias and that's actually that's a good name to bring up because operating under the assumption of what chapman brought and what miller brought and what some of these other high-end relievers bring in the thought process for me anyway was that Iglesias was going to cost you three prospects at least, and it was going to be a Max Freed headlining that deal along with some others. Now, I would imagine Max Freed would still probably be the level of prospect needed, but the package to go along with a Max Freed would be something much smaller than what I was originally expecting. So that's something to look out for. But whatever. We're not in this just for trade talks here, uh, but there is one other one other name that keeps getting bandied about particularly in sports talk radio around Atlanta. And I'm not going to mention any names here. If you guys were listening today, or if you guys were listening on Thursday, I'm sorry, you know who I'm talking about. You know who said it. And I this is I don't know why this myth keeps getting perpetuated. We've kind of hit this ad nauseum on here. So we're this is going to be our final our final take on it and we'll just fully explain this. Mike Mustakis is not a third base option that is better than Camargo at all. Mike no. Moustakis is a bigger name. Mike Moustakis hits bigger home, hits more home runs. That is literally it. Mike Moustakis is a guy that if he weren't Mike Moustakis and weren't coming off a 38 home run season, you think of him as a platoon player. And now there are some very smart people around the, the Braves bloggers universe um, and the Braves Twitterverse who want Moustakis for that role. As a, as a platoon piece. And what I will say to you is this. If he was brought in and strictly used as a platoon piece to go against righties, that'd be a phenomenal move. He'd be cheap. You already saw with Kelvin Herrera, they basically got the equivalent of Dustin Peterson and got Kelvin Herrera, the Nationals did. But that is not the way he's going to be used because of the name behind it. Because of the perception of what that player is, that is not the way he's going to be used. And rather than give my manager a loaded gun, it's like giving a three-year-old a loaded gun saying, hey, here, play with this, but don't hurt yourself. Like I'm not going to do that because I know how that's going to end. You know, you know as well as I do, Doc, that Moustakis would be brought in here as a starter. And for those of you that think that Moustakis is a better option than Camargo, let me just give you some numbers. He had a phenomenal March in April. 302 batting average, all that good stuff, hit a ton of homers. His March in April was outstanding. As I'm and pulling, then what happened? 
Then the rest of the season happened because unfortunately the season doesn't end at the end of April. As I'm pulling it up here, I'm sorry, as I'm pulling up the, uh, the, the advanced numbers here. So in March and April, 143 weighted runs created a plus. Off a 290 BABIP, a 914 OPS, and a 276 ISO, and a 578 slugging. All great numbers. Phenomenal numbers. Numbers you would take every day. Well, then May happened, and he dropped down to a 106 weighted runs created plus. And right there, you're already behind Johan Camargo. Uh, and his power numbers kind of dropped a little bit. He started slugging 451, which is still pretty good. The OPS dropped to 776, which is also not great, not bad, but not great, because the BABIP started falling. Then you get into June, and this is where things take a turn for the worse. The weighted runs created plus in June. Doc, would you like to take a guess? 80. Oh, that is 100% correct. I would guess you've got the page pulled up as well. Yeah. And you see there, <laughs> along the lines there, everything starts falling apart. He starts slugging 380. That's garbage. His OPS is 665. That's below Camargo's as well. So far in July, he's been even worse. Moustakis is a guy that does not, if he's not hitting you a home run, He's not doing enough other things to make him a viable player. And we're talking about this because everybody's looking at upgrading the lineup. Well, starting Moustakis every day is not an upgrade to the lineup unless you are using him strictly against righties, which if it's not going to happen, and by the way, before anybody thinks I'm taking a shot at Brian Snicker, that's not a Brian Snicker problem. 98% of the managers in Major League Baseball would be using Mike Moustakis as a starting third baseman. That is something that, that that's just the perception around the league. That's what they're going to do. You aren't going to trade for a guy to instantly put him in the platoon like that. Not with the name of Mike Moustakis, who has a $15 million mutual option for next year as well. I prefer not to give the child a loaded grenade. <laughs> you know, and, and people like the big name. You know, it, seem, it seems like an, an impactful move. Like if, you know, if the Braves were to trade for Eduardo Escobar, who is a much better option, by the way, which if you're actually looking at upgrading third base is about as good as you're going to get this offseason. But by the way, I don't feel like upgrading Camargo. Neither do I. But here's 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 the point I'm trying to make. If so many people don't know who Eduardo Escobar is, but so many people know who Mike Moustakis is, some people not not even like scouting stat lines. They're just scouting names. Right. Because he was on that royalty that won the World Series. You know, because he was a huge prospect. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was God. He was number seven in the game or something like that a couple years ago. So he's got that pedigree. But beyond that, they couldn't tell you what Escobar is doing this year. They don't know how much more productive that he's been than than Moustakis. And a lot of people. It's weird how many people in Braves country you would expect to know Camargo's game more so than Moustakis's, but they still want Moustakis. Now, I am not a Brian Snitker hater. I do not think he's a brilliant tactician by any means, but you're right. You can't just expect that that a guy with that pedigree is going to wind up coming over from a starting position in Kansas City and be happy to just sit on the bench behind Johan Camargo, which, if I'm being honest, based on the present numbers – that's kind of where he belongs, you know, not to mention he's walked once in July. Right. One time. And one that's time. the thing. And then you can mention, well, Dansby's bat has been really bad. So move Camargo to short and start Moustakas at sack. Uh, start Moustakas at third. You're not really getting any better. Like Moustakas has more offense than Dansby and his defense takes that away. 
Dansby has been brilliant in the field this year. It's what's kept him as a as able to stay on the field. He has one and a half F war, which is ironically enough the same as Johan Camargo. Um, Dansby has has performed brilliantly. He's taken to this new defensive idea. Uh, I've posited before that the the way that the Braves have kind of embraced the shifting side of analytics has far and away helped Dansby's defense. Is it's putting him in better positions to show off his his quick transfer and his great first step and his smooth fielding abilities. While I've noticed a little bit he might not have the best recognition abilities as far as shortstops go, but it's allowed Dansby to flourish as a defender. Now, Dansby's bat is awful. It, it has been this entire year. There's no getting around it, and I'm not saying this to hate on Dansby, but if you're asking me who would I rather have Dansby at short and Camargo at third or Camargo at short and Moustakas at, at third, I'd rather have Dansby playing short because when you have young pitchers, the game is so important behind them. Not just them pitching to the hitters and trying to strike everybody out because with a young guy, and you've seen it with Sean Newcomb, it has played out magically this year where you have a great defense. Sean Newcomb has started pitching more to contact instead of trying to get deep into counts where he struggles. A great defense allows a pitcher to relax. And for every run, Mike Moustakas might get you on a home run because he's not going to walk and he's not going to do anything else. He's going to give one or two up. And that is a big, big deal with young pitchers. And if you're not an offensive upgrade, which he's not over Camargo, then I don't need you on my club. I don't need that temptation there. And like you said, I'm not a Brian Snicker hater. Like we've mentioned with with Gabe on the show, if you were to take, if you were to poll right now, who's going to win manager of the year? Ironically enough, the only people who would scoff and laugh at Brian Snicker's name being up there is Braves fans. Because Snicker has a team that is a year ahead of schedule he would be the one who would probably win it. Yeah. It's, I, to me, it's between either uh, him or Craig Council. And honestly, stranger enough, Jim Riggleman. Right. We mentioned that a little bit, too, about how good Cincinnati's been since Riggleman took over. Yeah. Can a coach get most improved player? Wait, say that one more time. So can a coach get the most improved player? I still have no idea what you're saying. Don't worry about it. We'll scratch that. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, I guess the, the other point I'm trying to make here is it, it always astounds me. And again, this was not the most enlightened side who made this idea, not the ones who keep perpetuating it, but the the under undervalued nature of Johan Camargo. I don't get it. It, it can purely it only it's probably only the fact that he doesn't hit 30 home runs. That's the only only reason I can come up with with why people just kind of ignore what he brings to the table. He walks a ton. His, his improvement over the course of two seasons is nothing short of insane. And Fangrass has written about it. Baseball Reference has written about it. Braves writers have written about it. Everybody, national guys, have started to take notice of, of the leaps and bounds improvements of Johan Camargo. You're talking about a guy that at his highest peak was 52nd on a prospect list. As a guy who's he's got a good glove, he's got a cannon arm, and that's it. Why I mean, would you why would you change what's going on right now? We had Prado at third base, and you saw exactly how valuable Prado was as a brave. This we all were sad to see Prado go. Well, guess what you got right now? Well, and it didn't help, and this is probably a pretty decent example going from Prado to Chris Johnson is not that much of that much different from going from Camargo to Mustakis if something like that were to happen. 
Camargo doesn't have the greatest range, but he throws faster than Julio Tehran. That is not a joke. Uh, over, from, from third the other base, side of the diamond, it makes up for for some of the some of the rangy stuff. But he has great hands, and you know, I mean, God knows every single time that he has hit a home run for the past six weeks, I'll retweet that article I wrote over at talkingchop.com, talking talking about Johan's uh, evolution as a player. He's completely different uh, from who he used to be, and. You, for him and Ozzy and Acuna and all these guys, it's so much greater than than the sum of its parts. They feed off each other. They're all best friends. They like. There's just that. It's that swag element. I just love the way that he just kind of struts around. It's like when Fulty is really feeling it on the mound. He's strutting around like a peacock. That's what. That's just how Camargo walks around all the time. And by the way, as crazy as this is to say, Camargo is probably the most consistent of the bunch. Day in and day out. Ozzy gets on insane heat streaks, but we've seen him go this year with a couple really bad slumps. Acuna's been in a bit of a slump since he came back. More than a bit of a slump. He's been a regular slump. Camargo doesn't have the numbers to show for it the way the other two have, but you haven't seen him go into that prolonged slump where every time up it's a first pitch out. As a matter of fact, when we all wonder about when are they going to remove Ender from the leadoff spot, and they... Camargo makes for a great leadoff choice. He's not as fast as Ender, which is why Snickers not going to do it. But when you talk about taking pitches and waiting for a mistake pitch, that's what Camargo does well. His exit velocity is elite. And you can scoff at that all you want. What that points to is quality of contact. And it shows by the mechanical adjustment of just a, raising a higher leg kick. Johan Camargo is starting to evolve into a guy who's got a lot more power than people thought. He's still only 24, so there's still more to come from him. I am not on this train of wanting to get rid of him all the time. Just like while Dansby's not my favorite Brave, I'm not really interested in getting rid of Dansby unless you're talking about getting me a full-on upgrade. Like if you were going to tell me that you could go out and get Trevor Story and Dansby needed to be included in that deal. All right, I'll do that. Because Trevor Story is a better overall player than Dansby. I'll do that. But I'm not going to do that for a player like Mike Moustakis. Agreed. No, I and, and I don't I'm I'm I don't hate Mike Moustakis, and if he winds up coming over here, he's probably a better backup first base option than Culberson and, and it, it creates a, Yeah, I mean it it creates a, a, a lot of um it does deepen the bench, but this team has more pressing needs. Like that is so far down the list of what I'm looking at. And it's, it's just one of those, I I would just prefer not to have that problem in general. And there are some people that kind of want it to happen because they base a lot of their stuff on bashing Brian Snicker and showing that he's not the, not the most analytically minded. He doesn't look at a lot of the newer age stats to me. That's counterproductive. I would rather my team be put in the best position to win. And that is a front office's job. That's why I believe starting pitching and bullpen would be the first two things you look at, particularly bullpen moving on from that, because that's just going to get me heated and raise my blood pressure. This is the All-Star break, and if you're reading, and now that you're listening to this on Friday, first game will be today. So on Thursday night, we're looking at the All-Star Week in review, and the first thing I have to ask you, Doc, is did you watch the All-Star game? I did. I did. It was the first time that I have cared about it in years. That was going to be my next question. I did not watch a lot of the All-Star game. I kind of had it on in the background, but I wasn't really paying attention. Um, Maybe you can tell me if I'm off base. I don't really like the All-Star game. I never really have. And now that it really doesn't mean anything, there's no home field advantage decided on it. Honestly, there really shouldn't be because 
you shouldn't suffer for the fact that you have to have a player from every team on the squad. So it's not really the best players in the game. It's a cool fan experience thing. I totally get that. But I always like the home run derby more than I like the actual all-star game. You know, I, the, the format changed. First off. Yeah. I I'm same with you. Like I, um, not just because the Braves have been rebuilding and, and weren't sending, uh, but one guy to the all-star game for the last couple of years. Like I just, I, I like it more than, you know, like the Pro Bowl or something, which you want to talk about the most pointless sporting event that there is. Right. Like Pro Bowl. Just make it flag um, football. But it's like, it's like even by, by for being an exhibition, it's just so horribly lame. But like even when the Braves were good and they were sending a lot of guys, like I never, I'm with, I'm with you. I never really cared too much about the All-Star game, but watching the other night and doing the in-game interviews with Trout and Harper and, and Lindor, you know, and and even even Matt Kemp somehow managed to managed to be engaging. Um, but it was really cool. But to me, like, and I'm about to anger a lot of people. I, I found the the magic potion to pissing off a whole lot of people on Braves Twitter is to say anything good about Bryce Harper. What he did in the last minute of the home run derby, I do not care what you think. That was awesome. That is must see TV. That was so cool. And yeah. it could have been a Harper or Bregman or. Or whoever, dude. The only way that that could have been—I mean, I would like to for it to have been uh, Raphael Belliard instead of uh, Bryce Harper. But it was awesome, man. That was really, really cool. Well, let's talk about that a little bit too, because because it was Bryce Harper. You're seeing a lot of the posts of "Oh, they cheated. They weren't waiting for the balls to fall." Let me tell you something. Nobody does. That happened last year with Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge. It happens every year, especially at the end of rounds, because it's not supposed to be anything like that. It doesn't mean anything. It's just for fun. And for Bryce Harper to hit nine homers in a minute was crazy. It was awesome. And I'm I'm not the biggest Harper fan. I think he's a tool, personally. But as far as a baseball player goes, he has a lot of great skills. Now, if you were to ask me if he's really on the level of Mike Trout and Nolan Arenado and Clayton Kershaw, like these elites of the game, I've got some numbers that will show you that he's not, um, that Freddie Freeman is actually a better overall player than Bryce Harper. But whatever. Purely speaking about the home run derby, it was awesome. To him, for him yeah. to go out and do that, let's not let's not forget what Kyle Schwarber did when Reese Hoskins came out in that first round and hit what hit uh, hit seventeen the first round, hit twenty one the second round, and still lost. Yeah, I mean that's that's amazing, and 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 like I said, the format change instead of just doing it where you've got ten outs now having the I love it. aspect. Yeah, and and here you know my my wife is my barometer for so many things like with the, like with the pace of play stuff. You know what I mean? When I've got my opinions on it, but when when she'll watch a game with me and she'll be like, why are they doing it like this? This is taking forever. Um, but but watching her watch the end of the Schwarber and Bregman round, she looks over, looks ah, excuse me, over at me at, at the end. And she's like, oh, my God, that was so exciting. I'm like, uh-huh. You see, they did something right here. Because this, <laughs> this is somebody that, that if it was not for me, my wife would not give one single shit about baseball. You know what I mean? But right. But she was – she was sucked in, dude. She was she was reading a uh, reading a book that she just you know, and she loved this book. All right, I don't think you understand how much she loved this book. So the fact that it, the home run derby got her to stop paying attention to that that says a lot to me. And let's just go ahead and say that if it hadn't been Bryce Harper who did that, this outrage would not be the same. Now Freddie Freeman in it as well. He uh, he hit twelve in the first round. 
I thought it was the wrong choice for Freeman to be in it. I felt if there was any brave to be in it, it should have been Ozzy. Ozzy's swing was, was more tailor-made for the home run derby, and that proved correct as Freddie had a completely Freddie Freeman-esque home run derby, uh, hitting homers in the opposite field, spraying all around, playing a, playing a wall ball with the wall. It almost it reminded me of, do you remember when Albert Pujols was in a home run derby? Uh, no, God, how long ago was that? It must have been a long, long time. Long, long time. But that's why Albert Pujols didn't do home run derbies. Like his, He did not go up there trying to hit home runs. And Freddie, if you've watched anything during a Braves rain delay, you know Freddie doesn't hit home runs in batting practice. He doesn't try to. He doesn't aim for homers in the cage. He tries to hit everything opposite field. He has a hitter's approach, not a home run approach. So I didn't think he would do all that well. I'm actually a little bit surprised that he got to 12, honestly. I was worried he was going to pull an Andrew and uh, kind of get skunked a little bit. But, you know, every you can just tell the, the the fun thing about that was one of the even more than just the home run derby in the All-Star game to me was at the opening when they have Freddie come up there and just the instant smiles on everybody's face when Freddie's up there with him. Freddie Freeman is a beloved player, not just in Atlanta in the entire league. And I don't know that he gets enough credit for just how much Everybody loves him, whether it be Bryce Harper, who admitted that Freddie Freeman's one of his favorite guys in the league, or whether it's Wilson or Wilson or Wilson Contreras or whoever. Drop a name. People love Freddie Freeman, and that was really cool to see for me. And all of the Braves uh, getting booed by the by the Nationals fans. Go ahead, you know, that's fun. We would boo the Washington yeah. fans if it was in Atlanta. Sure, and it's a, it's almost a sign of respect too. You know, where it's like. We took pride every time Chipper got booed in New York. I mean, Chipper pulled the ultimate troll job. (laughs) Named your son, named my son after your stadium. Yeah, that was wow. Because I'm your daddy. But he had a very special relationship with with Mets fans. They they hated them some Larry. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's and everybody knew it was coming too. When when it's a division rival, you 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 have to expect that and. Especially for for this year, I think the the Nats fans are were ramping it up a little bit for um, when they looked in the standings. Like, oh yeah, I forgot. I hate these guys. <laughs> Especially with them having a bad season, you needed something mm-hmm. to get you going, and that that definitely energized them. Now, as far as the thought process that oh no, now Harper's going to heat up. He might very well heat up. I don't put much stock in the home run derby as far as affecting hitters. Now, there's some hitters that tell you it does. What I'll tell you is most likely if you think it's going to affect you, it's probably going to affect you because you think it's going to. Not necessarily that you hitting home runs is going to, but the fact that you are actually thinking it and putting that in your own mind will probably do it. For the most part, it happens because it's a long season and you've got less games in the second half. That's generally the reason why the quote-unquote home run derby curse comes around. I think Harper is, is – if he winds up having a monster second half – I think it's just because he's kind of due for some positive regression right. anyway. You just know? because like, he's uber talented and this has been a, the worst year of his career. I mean, and and you can only put so much stock into low BABIPs because it doesn't take into account shift. I mean, if you look at hard hit rates and stuff, I mean, he's, it's pretty consistent with, with his uh, with his career norms. But his BABIP is 226. 
you know, I got people. It's oh my god, it was so funny when I when I said, you know, tell me why you wouldn't want Bryce Harper on this team, and everybody's like, oh, he's only hitting two fourteen. And my only response to that is, it's twenty eighteen, and you're only using batting average. Like I get using batting average, that's fine, but like you can't like, act like that's the only stat that's available to you to make your point. If your point is that you think he's a giant douchebag, just say that. You know what I mean? But there's like he's he's a really good player whether you like him or not and i know that he most is. of the people listening to this probably don't do like not. him i don't like him fine. i don't like him but he is an uber talented player yeah that's why everybody has been keyed on him and don't act like if for all of you that hate bryce harper don't act like you weren't paying attention when he was 14 years old and he started mashing home runs or when he was 16 and he hit the 500 foot shot in tropicana field don't act like you weren't paying attention because the entire baseball world was yeah, I mean, the kid was on the cover of Sports Illustrated he was when he con- was 16. He was that's considered the- to be baseball's LeBron, and that's what he was marketed as. It's no fault mm-hmm. of his that Trout is just better. And speaking of Mike Trout, there is a – I have a particular bone to pick. Now, this is probably the thing that makes me the most angry this week. I got a little bit heated on some of the other stuff. This is probably – to me, this is my source point in all of this. And maybe it's just because I am a Mike Trout stan, which I'll fully admit. Um, but – when Ma, when Rob Manfred goes on and he starts talking about uh, he starts mentioning marketing players about why Mike Trout isn't marketed well enough and it's well Mike Trout needs to get on social media more and Mike Trout needs to market himself more and help us out. Let me tell you something. If you need help marketing the greatest athlete in all of professional sports and a guy who as of right now his worst career season is an MVP season. You don't deserve to be the commissioner of baseball. This is one of my problems with Rob Manfred. He's more concerned with Trout's social media presence instead of the the fact of you've all seen the video on Twitter now of Angels fans who are flocking behind Trout as they should, where he pulls the kid out of the stands just randomly in BP, starts hanging out with the kid, gives him a bat, he's hanging out with him the whole time. Mike Trout does this stuff all the time. That is something you market. You don't need a guy going out there and whoring himself out on Twitter, whoring himself out on Instagram. Hey, look at me. Look where I'm at. Hey, look at the life I'm living. Let his insane baseball abilities and let him being the kind of guy next door type of mentality, that should be enough. If you need help marketing from that, then you don't deserve your job. And Trout has got this really, and and you saw it during the All-Star game when when he was doing the on-field interview. He is just so relaxed, so laid back, just super, super chill. He just – he is the type of player that that doesn't need to be that big, flashy, in-your-face guy. I mean, and, and guys that, that have the talent to – to be the face of their sport that also want to be the face of their sport. Guys like LeBron and guys like Michael Jordan, those guys are kind of unicorns, man. Like they, they don't come around all the time and trout, I think would rather have that unassuming role where he's, he doesn't have to be in the national spotlight. I mean, he's an Eagles fan and I don't care. Do you know how much that means? I like him. Do you know like how that? much I hate Philadelphia, everything. And the fact that Mike Trout likes Philadelphia does not take him down at all. In my estimation. No, that's, that's what I'm saying. I mean, so, so the fact that, that he is able to, uh, just, if, if he doesn't want to be the face of baseball, then it's not like you don't have so many other players that you could put put in that, in that spot. Like Bryce Harper, you could tell he wants to be the face of baseball. I'm going to go step beyond it. 
I don't care. He is still the face of baseball. His attitude is just one that you want to talk about athlete. And everybody has this famous word whenever an athlete an athlete screws up. Athletes aren't role models. Mike Trout genuinely is. Is that should be good enough. That is what you should be marketing. If you want to get the younger demographic involved, you know how you do that. You build up lifelong fandom. From when kid, when people are kids growing up and they see a guy like a Mike Trout and he pulls kids out of the stands and he does all that work and he's always got that smile on his face. When people want to say, oh, he's got the personality of an actual Trout. Grow up. I don't need a guy out here, you know, dropping F-bombs everywhere. And, you know, I don't care what people say. I really don't. But when you talk about things like that, I like a guy like Mike Trout who just goes about his business, has a ton of fun doing it, and is better at what he does than anyone else in the world is at their job that is enough to market you are talking about right now if he continues on this path and does not get derailed by injuries he will go down as the best player to ever play in your sport this you cannot let the narrative be well why didn't we market this guy better what are you doing no i'll I'll agree and and if there's and of course the angels immediately jumped in they're like he he is he's kind of doing his own self-marketing. He, he almost kind of doesn't need your help. Uh, and and then Trout came in and had the, had the very Mike Trout statement where he's just like, I'm not petty. Cool. I don't want to deal with it. I'm fine. Yeah. I just want to play some baseball. And that was how he yeah. left it off. I'm ready to play baseball. Yeah, and that's and that's exactly – that's that's perfect. He's not trying to get caught up in the crosshairs. So uh, for as many players as there are out there that you could say, you know, Mamas don't let your kids grow up to be uh, Giancarlo Stanton or whoever. Then uh, you actually you could do a whole lot worse than have your kid grow up to be like Mike Trout. And uh, by the way, just, in a sport, not just from a talent perspective, but also from as a just person, being a dude. By the way, it's for, for those of you that may not quite understand, professional athletics is not really a lifestyle that lends itself to being a good role model. There's a ton of temptation. You're making a ton of money. It rewards arrogance. It does not typically lend itself to creating great personalities as far as very moral, upstanding folk. Everybody knows Chipper struggles, and I love Chipper to death, but I would never have idolized Chipper Jones the person for that very reason. And my parents were very, very quick early on to explain to me that just because you like this baseball player, do not get wrapped up in thinking that just because he's great at baseball means he's a guy you would like to talk to and hang out with. It's a real thing. It's the same thing with rock stars. Everything. There are some who are fantastic people, like Tim Hudson, for example. And there's some that are not so great, like John Rocker. There there are some that just aren't what you expect. And that's okay because people are people. But when you have somebody who is genuinely at the top of the entire sports world and is that genuine person, you're missing a huge opportunity and you shouldn't be relying on him to go out and put an Instagram story because that is out of character. To me, that is actually what will trivialize what makes Mike Trout, Mike Trout. Personally, I'm going to get off that soapbox because I could keep going with that. Uh, to me, I think it comes down to you have you have a commissioner that doesn't really like baseball all that often, all that much. I think he's he's uh, he's like J.J. Abrams for baseball. He read the back page of what baseball is. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I got this. And uh, it takes a lot for me to say that somebody's more annoying than Bud Selig. 
And uh, to this point, Manfred has been more annoying. Uh, but moving off of that, because I know you're going to disagree with that line there. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I was actually just about to say, you know, this is I was going to say I said earlier, I'm not a Snicker hater. I was saying that I was not a Moustakis hater and, and I'm actually not a Manfred hater either. We, we got to stop talking about people that you don't like. I just, I, it's just oil and water. I mean, this is my show. If I can hate who I can hate, you're the nice guy, okay? I could, I could do a lot worse than to have the role of being a nice <laughs> right? guy. Right, right. You're the guy that was be like Doc. Don't be like that other guy. He yells a lot. Wait, are people like me like Doc? I mean, you're nah, you're the superstar. You guys are like me like Doc. You're the superstar of the show. Oh, the artistic one. You know all the stats and numbers. You've got all the knowledge. I'm just the loud one. We all have our roles, dude. <laughs> anyway, um, but that kind of leads us into we're about to start off the second half of the season, and the Braves might have disappointed a few people with the way it ended. They actually ended exactly at 500 from June on, 25 and 25. Um, having that ridiculous March and April gave them a little bit of, of a breathing room for them to kind of come back to earth and for some people to struggle. But the question is now – how is the second half going to turn out? And if you guys are paying attention, not to, again, shameless plug, but we had a piece come out today where we kind of talked about our thoughts and our predictions. And I still see good things for Atlanta. Keeping in the mold, I don't think that they're going to end up doing like a 12 games over 500 stretch. I don't think they're going to end up just going like, I don't think they're going to win 50 games in the second half per se. I got them right at 39 and what did I have? I think it was... Uh, 38 and 31 is what I had them at. I think they're going to be comfortably over 500. I think it's going to put them right at 89 and 90 wins. And I think it's going to be enough for them to win the division because that la- that seven of the last 10 games being against Philadelphia, it's a big thing. No, agreed. And and I'm looking at, looking at the schedule coming right out of the gate here. And the, this season, excuse me, the series with Washington that starts starts tonight if you're listening on friday um that is a very crucial series because the nationals are uh, we joke about them being paper champions but on that's because on paper they they are a really good team and you never know when they they could turn it around so um until the braves get out of the woods with that that could be a very dangerous thing but then after that you got the the marlins you have series with the Dodgers now. They've got Manny. That'll be tricky. But then after that, you've got the Marlins again. You've got the Mets. You couple series after that, you got the Marlins again. Then you got the Pirates, and you got the Marlins again. Like the there's I, a lot I of see, very winnable games. Yeah, there, there's there's uh, 19 of the the next 36 games are against the the Mets, the Marlins, and the Pirates. So the Pirates just swept a five game series from the Brewers. So they're not just going to roll over. But um, what that kind of tells me is that everybody, you know, you guys saw how good the Brewers looked against the Braves. Every team kind of hits this swoon in the middle of the season. And it's natural to expect that for a team as young as the Braves, that there's going to be that kind of lag where uh, you had talked about it. Uh, you and me and Garab talked about with Ozzy, how the, the pitchers will eventually get a whole bunch of tape and you, you see the places where you can exploit it. And then it becomes the, the onus is on the hitter to adjust Ozzy adjusted because he's amazing. Um, Acuna still has, he's got a couple things to figure out, but if he readjusts to how they adjust to him, then you start to really pick up a lot of steam as a team. And I think because of that hot start and because of the unlikelihood of it all, nobody wanted to get off the bus. Everybody's got this really good feeling for the first time in like half a decade where it's like, oh my God, our team is actually really good. 
and it's everybody just started to, to freak out when they were playing 500 ball. It's like, oh, they're only playing 500. Well, that's better than I thought they were going to play <laughs> right? coming into the season. <laughs> right. So say they get, uh, we talked about Iglesias earlier. Say they, they get Yates or Stammen or Baraclaw or Steckenrider from the Marlins or Say whoever. they get Madison Bumgarner. I, I don't think that he's going to wind up moving. But let's, I mean, let's say, <laughs> let's say that, there, that there's that there's some move. Maybe they get Carlos Martinez from, from the Cardinals or, or Fulmer from the Tigers. By the way, by the way, are you shocked that Carlos Martinez is available, that the Cardinals seem to be actually going for a teardown? You want Carlos Martinez? You want Jose Martinez? Whoever you want. You want Jed Jerko? You come on and we'll give him to you. You know, that I think that based on where, especially for this year, they, they need to kind of step back. I think the Matheny thing was, um, probably long overdue. And I think that with the Cubs and the Brewers positioning themselves to really run uh, away with that division for the next half decade. I mean, the, the Cardinals are kind of, they're in the same spot that the Orioles were a couple years ago, where you look at them and it's like, you're just going to spin your wheels and be 81 and 81 every year for the, for the foreseeable future. So they need to, uh, and they, they sold off some of their farm pieces to get Ozuna. Um, so no, I'm I'm not particularly surprised if he's available. I would expect the Bra- the the Braves to look into Carlos Martinez for sure. But he'd need to cut his hair. I don't like that afro. I really don't. Yeah, it, it looks I like saw him a couple looks, years ago it was like green or purple or something. And you know he's got it, he's got some swag. He it's sit, not the afro right itself. In. It's the way it looks under the hat where it pokes out so much to the sides. That's just my thing. Uh, and it's not the respect the game. I don't care about that. It's just you look like a little bit like Bozo the Clown there when it pokes out to the sides that much. That's the part I don't like. I look at it and I just cringe a little bit. I don't care about any other look. I just don't like his particular afro. Like Marcakis' well, little fro, whatever. I think that looks dumb on Marcakis, but whatever. You can't argue with the results. He's got afro power this year, and he's been incredible. Well, the uh, that's a very specific. Uh, the Greek afro is, is a very um, it's a very specific type of afro. But for him looking like Bozo the Clown, uh, until they start playing like the bucket game in the dugout, like throwing the ping pong ball in the bucket uh, from behind the the white line or whatever, um, then you know, th- then I'm I'm not fully buying into the Bozo thing. But anyways, to bring this back around, <laughs> Sorry, so the Braves are going to get some some reinforcements, whether it's Martinez, Fulmer, Baraclaw, second rider whatever so the team is going to get better and it's not just that they're getting you know you get rid of peter moylan and you replace him with kyle baraclaw you get rid of uh ryan flaherty and let's say just to use the name you replace him with mike Moustakis. whoever the, the point is the team will get better uh things will start to round back out this rough stretch keep in mind that they were playing the yankees they were playing the brewers and they were they were playing really really good teams so it was natural that they were going to hit hit some type of skid so for the rest of the season i think there is a really good chance that they this could be a 90 win team i really think they could be so what do they have 52 wins now i I think that it it is very very feasible uh, that, that they could wind up being a 90-win team and winning the division. And it will also depend, too, granted, the good teams get better, the bad teams get worse because they're acquiring assets or selling off assets. This is going to be this is gonna be a lot of fun. This is going to be the most fun to watch in years. And even if they go 34-34 and 34 for the rest of the season, that's still 86 wins. That's, is that's still, wild card worthy. That, that's right in the projections that we had them at the beginning of the season, and we were we were higher on them than a lot of other people. And yep. like you mentioned, 
they're going to make some sort of move, whether it's the blockbuster that people want, which I don't particularly think it will be, because uh, I don't think that Anthopolis wants to give up high-end prospects or controllable prospects for for rentals or smaller pieces. I think that if he's going to move for a blockbuster, it would be an off-season acquisition. But maybe maybe he's feeling froggy, and he goes out, and he goes and goes after Josh Donaldson, maybe. Who knows? Whatever. Uh, I I don't expect it, but I've been wrong before, uh, and I will be wrong again. But for what it is now, I think you're absolutely right. I think you kind of have to view the season in a vacuum. It started out so incredible. The ride has been great as it is, and this team is for real. Like it's it's not like oh we were just faking for half a season. No, the team is for real. Uh, whether or not that they the the main thing I want to see is avoid the quote unquote Braves uh, Braves crash where you just all of a sudden tank in September. Just avoid that. Uh, that that's really all I'm looking for. The, the team is in a great spot. They've got a ton of talent. And we've mentioned this before on the show more than once, that with all of these young guys being as young as they are, they, they've got a little bit of a different momentum about them. Like for them, like this is normal. This is what they should be doing. And they, they're more likely to stay out of prolonged ruts of being really bad. And the team has had a good job of, you know, for, for a little bit there, everybody seemed to be struggling. But Freddie's going to pick it up in the second half. You know he's going to. Uh, Ozzy seems to come out of his slump. Not many people slump at the same time on this team. And to me, when you're talking about a 162-game season, that is a big, big deal in the second half. Hopefully they come out rejuvenated and they can get Vizcaino's arm to feel a little bit better. But for the most part, I think the Braves are in pretty good shape. Agreed. It's uh, it, what was the, was it? It was 2013 that the that the Braves last won the division, and and even that it wasn't really that much of a race. I don't think. I mean, this is going to be like 1993 level of of watching the standings every day. You know, when the when the Braves caught up to the caught up with the Giants and overtook them on the last day of the season. I mean. This is going to be so fun to watch. And and I've said it. Rem- I really think that that final series against the Phillies decides who wins the division. No doubt. It's, it seems so weird to play Philly so much early in the season, but for the end of the, and and just not play them at all for a couple of months. But this is where it's going to get really cool. Like, oh, yeah, I forgot these guys are really good, or I forgot how well the Braves played against them because I think they were 8 and Four, seven, and five. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm really the glad had that series so far. I'm really glad that we played them that much early before they figured it out. You know, they we did get uh, a lucky as far as having being some of Gabe's first uh, first series as a manager, trying to figure out. I mean, because God, do you remember how wet behind the ears he was? He was so green uh, for, the, for those first he couple put of a- series. He burned his relievers in the first series of the season and had to put in a position player in the eighth inning. Yeah, um, and that was when that was when Lane Adams hit one to uh, hit one to Jupiter off of Pedro Florimon. Right? Like, God, that would be uh, it was hilarious. That. That's the one where he tried to call the wrong man. Like he he called in a pitcher into the game who hadn't who had not been warming up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that—that's right. Because Snit got tossed. Yeah, that, that was game. the controversy because it was, hey, you can't give him time. He made the mistake. You got to deal with it. Yeah, that was that was a mess, you know. And and he has he has figured out some things since then. The Phillies are talented. The, get used to this rivalry, you know. And and just it's, just it's remember back in full force. when when this when it gets tricky because the the Braves might wind up being in second place or if the Nationals heat up they could be in third place for some of this i mean 
this is what we have wished for. And don't and even if the Braves don't make the, the playoffs this year, heaven forbid they fall apart, or or not even if they fall apart, but everybody else um, takes a big step up, and the Braves kind of wind up getting getting left in the rearview mirror. This is still just the beginning. We have all of the good guys on our team right now. We have them all back next year and the year after that. So um, I'm just I'm so excited, man. I, I have missed exciting baseball. Now, one other thing that's going to come out during this All-Star break is the MLB Players Association is now behind the DH in the National League. So two questions here. Number one, how long do you think it takes for the for the DH to get instituted? And number two, how do you feel about the DH in the National League? I wonder if they would wait until the next collective bargaining agreement, uh, which was I think is up after the 2021 season. Or uh, maybe it's after the 2020 season. I think it's coming within the next three or four years. I can almost almost guarantee. Um, let me say this. National League Baseball is very pure. It's, um, it's very traditional in that sense. But people who say that they're baseball traditionalists are kind of lying because for as much as tradition as there is, the game is constantly evolving. Whether it's expansion or... A realignment or lifting the mound, lowering the mound, uh, replay. Just, there's always some tiny little tweak to the game. And Mike Fultonavich might be my favorite Braves pitcher since the big three, you know? But if I ever have to watch him do that Ole bullshit swing one right? more time, I'm going to scream. I'm glad like, you I, said it. <laughs> Like he, whoever it was that photoshopped a lightsaber. In his hand, <laughs> plus the, one. That's the greatest thing ever. God, uh, that was wonderful. I'm glad and, you said and, it. I thought, uh, I thought I was about to get killed here because, uh, for the most part, most people view me as a pretty, pretty traditional stare. I'm, I'm pretty big into the analytics side of it now as well. But, uh, for the most part, I still like the, uh, knock him off the plate fastball. Uh, I still, I still say watch your celebration a little bit. I'm okay with some of it, but don't go over the top type. Like I loved, and this is, I guess this is now bad, but I loved when Brian McCann got in Carlos Gomez's face. I loved it. I mean, sure. Carlos can show off if he wants. That's fine. I love that. Brian McCann acted the way he did. I loved it. Uh, I was fully behind Brian War Brian McCann forever just for that. Um, <laughs> but I want the DH in the National League, and I know that's going to get a ton of people very angry at me because I know I have a ton of people that know me that are a little bit older that uh, are big fans of the traditional style of the game. I don't need to see my pitcher hitting. You can talk about it adds to the strategy of the, strategy of the game. Sure, I'd like more wins, honestly. Whatever makes it easier for the Braves to win, that's what I'm fine with. Uh, I don't need to see Fulte's lightsaber swing. Uh, I don't need to see. You saw what happened. I don't see. I don't need to see Masahiro Tanaka pull two hamstrings running the bases. And, uh, plus, you know what? I want my chance at getting a JD Martinez guy who just goes out and hits bombs, but you don't have to worry about him in the field. I want my chance at one of those guys. Okay, where's my Edgar Martinez? Yeah, and and guys like Evan Gaddis could have could have possibly. Where's my Jose Martinez? You tell me. I have a uh, I have a DH, and Jose Martinez is on my team yesterday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you even saw defensive miscues at first. Like, it takes a lot sometimes to be a noticeably bad first baseman. Jose Martinez is a noticeably bad first. David Ortiz. And I mean, there there are so many players that like it is an unfair advantage for for the AL and for. One thing I will say about Manfred is that 
um, the pace of play initiatives, like he's not talking about shortening games. He's, he's trying to kill, cut the dead time between things. Um, and, and I, I respect the fact that that's what he's doing. I think that the implementation has been bad, especially if you're going to wind up complaining about these games are taking too long when you have 12 minutes dedicated to replay over the course of a game. But um, when that game in the World Series, I think it was game five that was 13 to 12, and it lasted like five and a half hours. Nobody complained because it was super interesting. Everybody loves the slugfest. Chicks dig the long ball, whatever. So, like... Having games like that, if if we could trade out Mike fulton for J.D. Martinez, and it, it allows you to keep guys like Ender or Dansby, who are possibly right now more natural eight, nine hitters, the difference between having one, I, I hate to use this term, and please don't kick this back <laughs> on me for being like a, a black hole, you know what I mean, in the lineup, the pitcher is is the sub-200 hitter. And so if you've got another guy who's great on defense, but he, he's struggling at the plate or whatever, then that's 22% of your lineup that's just sucking at any given time. You know, they can't all be Michael Lorenzen. It's it's not like, <laughs> right. you know. I mean, Michael Lorenzen's OPS is like 1,400 right now. That he just guy, goes out and hits bombs. He can't yeah, pitch. He, he's horrible on the mound, but he'll go out and hit bombs. He's your pinch hitter. It's like, yeah. do you remember when the Braves used to use Jair Jurgens as a pinch runner? Yeah. They'll, they'll still use Julio as a pinch hitter now. It's the same thing. I, I fully, I am fully on board. I'm glad you're on board with that with me. I wasn't sure you were. I think I agree with you. 2020, 2021. It's not going to be an instant implementation, but the fact that the MLBPA is behind it to me means it's it's going to happen. And I think it's one thing that players are going to like because it's going to allow guys to extend their careers uh, to where that they don't have to necessarily play a position uh, or they don't have to go to the AL and effectively limit themselves to half the teams uh, in the league that could sign you. So I'm excited to see that. Uh, I think it'll be... I think you'll definitely get some pushback early, and then I think people will start to go along with it and be like, oh, hey, it's kind of nice not having to see my pitcher go 0 for 41 in a season with 37 strikeouts. You know, it's kind of nice. Uh, I don't yeah. have to watch Mike fulton miss on a bunt uh, or, or pop a bunt straight up to the catcher, you know, things like that. So I'm, I'm happy with that, and we are running out of time. But before we go, we obviously have to hit on the number one story, um, and it's Josh Hader. Uh if you're living under a rock and for and you have been for like the past three days, Josh Hader went from having the best time of his life to having the worst time of his life in about 13 seconds. And uh, it's really, really seemed like somebody had been sitting on those and waiting for, uh, waiting for the a time to, the right time to unleash the beast, as it were. Uh, yeah. And if you haven't heard, it was it was a ton of, of tweets, uh, racist and homophobic uh, tweets from from Josh Hader when he was seventeen. Uh, I'm going to let you go first on this because I'm pretty sure I'm not sure how uh, how my stance is going to be taken. So I'm going to let you start off here. Uh, what were your thoughts on the Hader thing, and what, what are you thinking now? He's got all of his teammates coming up behind him, but. but what are what are you thinking right now? Um, well, he broke the number one credo uh, that everyone should live by, and that's just don't be an asshole. Right? Don't be a dick um, for for some of our you know cleaner people. Don't be a dick. Right? And and like he, you can't do that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you just you just can't do that. You shouldn't do that. And you know, this is where. This is something that our generations 
never really had to deal with. Like if you were a dumb bigot, then you were just a dumb bigot and you could deny your past. You know what I mean? But like he got in this era of gotcha, then there's like this giant long string of racist, homophobic, sexist, every, every phobia that you can have that's related to other people. He had it. And it's like, it's just there for everybody to see. It's like, I don't, I just, you can't, you just can't do that. You know what I mean? And there's people that are saying, Oh, well, I bet you never did anything stupid. Like this goes beyond stupid. This, this is not like having white chicks too is your favorite movie. That's stupid. Like this is this is like it's deplorable, you know, and and, and whatever you believe, like people it, it, even for something like this, where people believe deplorable things, you're allowed to believe what you want to believe, I guess. But you just have to be prepared for every single person in the world to look at you and go, man, you're a real piece of garbage, you know, and his his response seemed disingenuous. And it, it just seemed like such a. Like it's a, it's just a nasty situation all around. Just the whole thing sucks. It makes him look bad. It makes the Brewers look bad, and they can't really punish him for that. He wasn't under contract, right? Seventeen. Yeah, it was pre-draft. It was pre-Orioles, pre-Astros, pre-Brewers. I mean, this whole thing has just lived uh, undiscovered for the last seven years or so, and uh, which is weird. It seems really strange that that. Uh, that that none of this had been uncovered by not just by some Cubs fan who was go going rooting around and is uh, you know doing searches on him, but also by you know the PR departments for these teams. You know what I mean? You, you don't want to have to squash any of those things. Ideally, if you're not living like a freaking jerk, then, then you don't have anything to hide like this. So I don't know, man. I just I hate it, and for, especially for a game that is um, as diverse. Yes, for for a game that is so diverse and filled with so many people where it's like, how do you even think that way at, at all? Just in general, but especially when you have that much exposure. So um, that that is my soapbox. And uh, back to you, Dylan. All right. So this is going to be the part where I lose a few people. Um, oh, God. I just ask that everybody listen through the end. Uh, I... It, <laughs> This is such a, a weird situation. It's absolutely horrible that that was that that, that was the things he was saying. Uh, also, at seventeen and in high school, I don't know if you've been to any high school basketball games. Um, you will hear literally the worst things you've ever heard coming out of people's mouths because they are teenagers, because they are looking to get rises out of people, and that is what they do. Uh, at 17 years old, that is not anything he learned through life experience. That is something that he learned growing up. Uh, so I would say uh, without casting too many aspersions and allegedly without casting too many stones here, because I don't know the hater family, uh, I would say that that's probably somewhere where he learned it. As to what it means today, that is a horrible situation. One, you are completely idiotic, not just for making those statements, which you are, but uh, but two for leaving them up there. Uh, the delete button exists for a reason, and you're an idiot. First off, second, I agree with you. I think that that apology was crap. 
Uh, I think he missed a real opportunity there. Uh, it happened right after the game, so he didn't really have a chance to kind of prepare a statement. But I don't think you really need to prepare a statement for something like that. Uh, I think very simply what could have been said was, um, I was an idiot. I was a horrible person when I was younger. I'm not that person anymore, and I'm ashamed of the type of person I was. Uh, I, as I've gotten older, I've grown. I've grown past that, and now I, I that is no longer the way I portray myself that's no longer the way that i am and from the outreach from his teammates and things like that that seems to be what he's been kind of saying to them in private as he's gone up and apologized to all of them uh his teammate jesus aguilar had a had a pretty impassioned tweet about him uh, all of his teammate learns okay as well had a pretty strong defense for him um they all seem to have his back which ultimately ultimately from the outside looking in josh Hader doesn't need my approval uh, he doesn't need yours either, Docs. He, he really just needs the approval of his family and his teams, his teammates. Sure. Um, so as to speaking to the disingenuousness, maybe maybe he's a guy that felt like he didn't need to put it out in the open. What I would say to Josh Hader is this. You don't owe anybody anything other than the, the direct people that you want to, that you care about what they think of you. You don't owe anybody anything. Um, but if that is truly not the type of person you are anymore. And I really don't think it is. Uh, I think it's more a case of him being an ignorant idiot of a 17 year old and a dumb jock, um, looking to get a rise out of people. But if that's really not who you are, then that is probably something that you should have marketed that way. Uh, that is probably something that you should have put across when you were giving your, uh, I don't even really want to say apology because there wasn't much apology in there. A lot of it was kind of him saying, look, I was 17 and I get it. Uh, that is, that is either way. I'm not a big fan of trolling people's lives to see if you can pick out a bad spot. I'm really not. Um, but for what Josh Hader said, I mean, that kind of sucks, man. You shouldn't have said it like that. The fact that you thought that way, uh, whether the fact that you thought that that was okay to say, whether you did it as a joke or to get a rise or whether that's really what you believed, I don't really care either way. The fact that you thought that that was acceptable to say speaks a lot to how you were when you were 17, which means that had I been in high school with you, I would not have, uh, I would not have liked you. Uh, we would not have been friends. You would have been somebody that I would pretty actively like to have punched in the face. Now, maybe Josh feels that way about himself now, looking back at himself back then. But I think for Josh Hader, it would be no, I, it would be a better move to explain that a little bit better. Maybe he will. I hope he does uh, because he is an excellent player. Um, his, his teammates seem to genuinely love him. But ultimately, there's really only one person that knows uh, how he is, and that's him. So... I agree with you. It's just it's just a bad situation all around. Uh, I'm I'm just not in the habit of killing people for something that they did seven eight years ago. Generally speaking, uh, I did some pretty stupid things when I was younger. Not anything to that degree, um, but I have done some pretty stupid and foolish things that I look back and do not much like some of the things I did. So I understand that part of it. I would just strongly, strongly suggest to Josh Hader that if that truly is not the type of person you are, that uh, you go about 
making some sort of amends. Not, I'm not saying that you have to go around and and give everybody money and, and things like that, but you need to make it very, very aware that you grew because of this diverse game. And you have grown as a person, and you should probably, because of the platform that you have, you should most assuredly go about that type of trying to change that aspect of people's lives and being that kind of uh, that kind of person to point to and say instead of saying look at this horrible racist person you need to go around and be to that point of person where people can point at and say look everybody can change and better themselves no i think that's i think that's very well said he this is an opportunity for him but he's he's got a he's got to hit the mark on this he really does as far as what it means for the brewers it's an interesting situation um, because his teammates could have his back in front of the media like they all have, uh, but locker rooms are a different story. And just because you don't hate a person enough to call him out in front of the media doesn't mean that you aren't hurt enough to kind of pull away from him a little bit. So I will. Uh, I don't know how it's going to affect Josh Hader. I don't know how it's going to affect the Brewers. It's just something that I hate to see. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's gross. It's it's gross to see, but uh, I, there are going to be a lot of people that never ever let him forget this. So that's they, true, he, and that's you know that's another point. I don't necessarily think you should hold on to it forever. But then again, here's the other thing that Josh Hader is going to have to realize: um, you don't, you also just like you don't owe anything to anyone else. Nobody owes you their forgiveness either. So. You are going to take a big hit on that. Uh, it's what happens when you do stupid things. And it just goes to show people actions have consequences. 7, 8, 10, 12, 20 years down the road, actions have consequences. So the number one rule in life as you go about and the way you treat other people, don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. It's words to live by. Now, as we're winding down, we're, we're going to go ahead and uh, get to the end here. As we end on the somber note, uh, that's just good advice all around. Don't be a dick and subscribe to the Platinum Sombrero podcast. Follow us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at TPS underscore podcast. Follow us on Podbean, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, whatever. You know the entire drill. Uh, make sure you are leaving us some reviews and letting everybody know how much you like it. Uh, fun little thing that I guess we can mention now uh, because it is official. We will be joining Armchair All-Americans. Uh, so we will uh, we will, we will, will still be the same podcast. We'll still be on the same platforms. You'll still be able to find us in the same places. But we are joining. We have uh, we are excited to join a big a bigger group and uh, continue our rise through the ranks here on the Platinum Sombrero. Doc, it's been a pleasure as always. Always a pleasure, Dylan. Uh, also, special uh, special thanks to everybody who is uh, who has not just made it through the end of this episode, but any episode. Um, you know, we we genuinely enjoy doing the show. We hope you enjoy it as well. Thanks to everyone and who we has en- left. We enjoy left interacting. On, thanks to everyone who's left reviews on iTunes and uh, and ratings and everything. Uh, definitely appreciate it. Uh, everybody who's interacted with us on Twitter. And also, special happy birthday to my dad, who is 68 years old today. So, oh, very dad, happy birthday I, to Papa Doc. Yeah, I know I know you're not listening, Dad. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> it is, uh, and again, we, we, love, uh, we love interacting with you guys. If you ever have any, any comments or any, any questions about anything that you'd like to hear answered, you can always DM us. Uh, our page is always open. We always enjoy interacting with, with listeners. Uh, as it is, 
Everybody stay safe out there. Enjoy the show. We will catch you guys next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader